Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And here in Virtual Legality, the real Resident Evil is lawsuits. On your screen right now, you can see the logo of one of my favorite game publishers, maybe one of yours, Capcom, who makes such things as Resident Evil, Devil May Cry, although we'll see an interesting naming issue there in this lawsuit that we're about to look at, Mega Man, and more. And Capcom today, unfortunately, is being sued for what? Well, as Game Daily Biz says, a photographer has sued Capcom for $12 million over stolen art allegations. Now, I brought up this particular article, which I will, of course, link in the description to this video because I've given a couple of quotes to Ryan Stevens at Game Daily Biz that you can check out, hopefully, after you listen to me here in this video. But overall, we're going to talk about the specifics of what is happening here. It's a copyright infringement complaint, or as the introduction says, this is an action for federal copyright infringement under 17 U.S.C. 101, the Copyright Act, and removal of copyright management information. Now, that second part is actually a little bit more interesting than the introduction would let on. We're going to talk about that when we get to it. But overall, it is what we have talked about in virtual legality before. It is somebody claiming that a company, in this case Capcom, has stolen what they created. What is it that Capcom is accused of stealing? Well, we'll look at the factual background to find out. Plaintiff has been a professional scenic artist, scene designer, and photographer for much of her career. As part of Plaintiff's work, she traveled around the world photographing various and unique decorative surfaces and features as part of her research. These photos are extremely useful to designers and architects looking to create distinctive and memorable scenery and decorative features. As a result of Plaintiff's work over the years, she grouped together various examples of unique and interesting surfaces, textures, and features into a book and CD-ROM. More specifically, Plaintiff is the author and photographer of the photography book called Surfaces, which was published by the W.W. Norton Company and includes a copyright notice of 1996 by Judy A. Jerasek, the plaintiff here, all rights reserved, immediately next to the table of contents page. Jerasek is the owner of U.S. copyright registration numbers, etc., which claims text, photographs, and compilation in book, compilation on CD-ROM. And you can go over to Amazon, you can take a look at Surfaces by Judy Jurasek. Visual research for artists, architects, and designers. We're actually going to come back to this Amazon page towards the end of this video because it creates a kind of interesting situation for how this book was actually sold. Now, how did they say the book was sold? This book included a CD-ROM, which provided digital copies of the photos and suggested that the photos could be useful for various purposes and invited interested persons to contact Jurasec if licenses were desired. Now, we're going to take a step back, as we do here in virtual legality, to talk a little bit more about what's happening here. So you've got a plaintiff, and this plaintiff takes some photos, does some interviews, it sounds like, if you go and you look at the description to this services book, about what makes architectural features and surfaces and things, makes a book about it, and sells it as this kind of research concept for artists, architects, and designers. Apparently, it's pretty popular in certain quarters, at least as described in this particular lawsuit, and it takes pictures of things that are like textures that would be useful for making a video game if you wanted to skip a few steps and just take textures from somewhere else. Now, the question is whether or not those check textures were licensed for any use outside of just this book. If we remember, Copyright Act in general says copyright protection subsists 
it's created and exists in accordance with this title in original works of authorship fixed in any tangible medium of expression, including pictorial works. We don't need to read the rest here for purposes of this conversation, but it means you take a photo and the moment you take it, you, the person that took the photo, have a copyright in that photography. Now, what does that get you? As we've talked about, 17 USC 106 is where your rights live. It gets you the exclusive right to reproduce your photo, to prepare derivative works based off of your photo, to distribute copies of your photo, and to display your photo publicly, among other things. You get those exclusive rights, and that means you get to control who gets to do these things. So when you make a book, you put it in the book, and you sell a copy of that book, it may or may not come with an implied license to do anything else with it. And a lot of that's going to depend on what it is that you said about the book and what your copyright notices are. And we're going to talk about that as part of this discussion. But certainly outside of some kind of separate license, when you buy a coffee table book with photos of the Empire State Building and the New York City skyline, you don't automatically get the right to take those photos and put them in your copy of Spider-Man that you make or something else that uses that New York City skyline. You can't take the photos directly. What you can do is you can use your book for research, or as the lawsuit here says, useful for various purposes, invited interested persons to contact Jurasec if licenses were desired. On the implication that you don't get a license to use this photo directly, you get a license to use it for research purposes. And we had some kind of note said, you could come ask for it from us by an actual license that a lawyer would probably draw up. Now, the other thing you might be thinking is that, hey, this is 1996. That's pretty old. Does this still cover copyright? And if you've been in virtual reality before, you know the answer to this before I even answer it. And the answer to that is, of course it does. Through the efforts of the Disney company and other copyright holders, copyright in the United States is now really, really long. 17 USC code 302 says, if you make something after January 1st, 1978, your copyright holds for the lifetime of the author plus another 70 years. So since this plaintiff is still alive, we can be pretty sure that the copyright is still active in the book that she put together in 1996. One of the things we can't tell is exactly what rights in her work she might have given up to the publisher. One of the unusual things here in this lawsuit is we don't see a reference here in the facts recited that Surfaces was actually made in 1996. We see a reference instead that there's a copyright notice of 1996 and a reference to the publisher without reference to the publishing agreement. So it's a little bit unclear what that relationship looked like. You have to assign certain rights just to allow a publisher to publish your materials. What other rights might have been conveyed? We don't know. That's the kind of thing that Capcom would be looking for as part of their diligence process. The other thing they would probably be looking for is what is this useful for various purposes mean? What is your marketing? What is the back of your book? What is the language used in your book about the photos and how one can use the CD-ROM? And what does this invite look like for interested persons to contact your sec? Continuing with her fact recital, you see she licensed copies of various photographs to many different parties who sought to use the photos commercially. The parties were required to contact Jurisac to obtain high-resolution digital files as the CD-ROM files were not high-resolution. They didn't put the highest-resolution copies of these photos on the CD-ROM, maybe just due to size limitations. CD-ROMs in 1996 probably couldn't hold super-high-resolution digital files of what she took. For the sake of clarity, anyone seeking a license for the photographs from the book or CD-ROM were required to contact plaintiff 
to obtain the photos in a high-resolution digital file suitable for commercial use as all rights were reserved as set forth in the copyright notice. You see that all rights reserved in a lot of places, right? And that means if we didn't license something to you, we reserve everything that is put forth in the Copyright Act, the right to reproduce, prepare derivative works, etc. But you can already see something that they're eliding a little bit. They reference this high resolution digital file concept as those are the ones that you would want if you're going to use something for commercial use. And yet it sounds like there might have been an implication that you could use the photos on the CD-ROM or the book as you saw fit, but you wouldn't want to because those are low resolution and we're going to invite you to ask us to license high resolution photos. And again, if you can imagine, and again, I didn't buy what is a $600 book for you all on this topic. I apologize. Virtual legality isn't making that much money that the language in her book, in her CD-ROM could say something along the lines of, for access to high resolution files and a license to the same, contact me, et cetera, at the email address put forth, which doesn't actually prohibit the use of the photos that are on the CD-ROM in the way that they're implying here. One of the things that would be very useful, especially if it backed up their position, would be the actual language used. Here, paragraph 16, useful for various purposes and invited interested persons to contact Jurasec if licenses were desired. Would love to see that language. That it's not included here, raises not a red flag, maybe a yellow flag in my mind to say, hmm, I wonder if that language isn't a little less obvious than they're leading on in this particular complaint. Jurasec never sold or licensed the photographs to defendants. The CD-ROM includes a file called GO79, which is the same photo and the copy of that photo is found below. And it's this shattered glass. This GO79 is but one example of the many highly unique photographs in Jurasec's book and CD-ROM. More specifically, the photo was taken in Italy of a unique looking glass shatter pattern that upon information and belief would not be duplicated by any other shattering of glass in that the probability of an object hitting the same thickness and configuration of glass identically at any other location is impossible or exceptionally remote. Capcom's primary logo for Resident Evil, including the game and related merchandise, uses this GO79 photo to create the logo. The below commented analysis shows that Capcom had directly copied GO79. So they bring a picture of the glass, they put it on top of the four in the Resident Evil 4 logo, and they show that it does look like the texturing pattern matches up with that. So that they have a claim that Capcom took their photo directly to make the texture on the four in Resident Evil 4. Now that might seem like very little to you, and it, it might be, uh, but ultimately it is a derivative work if this is proven, and this is facts and circumstances specific, of this photo. And if that photo weren't made available to Capcom through their purchase of the book and the CD-ROM for a use like this one, it would generally be infringement. You can take concepts and ideas. When you sell something like this to artists, architects, and designers, you can take ideas from what is presented there. You can look at the various photos and they put up a whole exhibit of what they think are potential claims. And they've got a photo of a mansion here and they've got a photo of a mansion door here. And we'll continue on and just kind of scroll through this as I say this. But you can take ideas. The, the notion is you can research how bricks are put down in the ground and know, okay, so they're going to look a little bit like that. And then you make your own. You take the research, you get inspired by it. As we've talked about a lot in copyright, you cannot copyright ideas. You can't copyright concepts. You copyright the expression of those ideas, the photo itself. But if you go and you chop out a piece of this photo and you put it directly in your texturing to save yourself time in making a commercial release, like as the lawyers say here, 
Devil May Care one. Hmm. Interesting. Then you have stolen something and made a derivative work. And if they can prove that, then that starts to look like you use something and, and Capcom would have to fall back on a different defense like fair use or that it was implicitly licensed. And, and we will talk about that towards the Capcom side of this video. I did want to point out, as you look at all of these, that they do call Devil May Cry, Devil May Care in a number of places, even though they've got a YouTube video here that says Devil May Cry HD. You have this kind of overall sloppiness in a couple of places with this particular claim. And I don't know what that means exactly, except that this was being done uh, by lawyers or a law firm that, that missed some of these details. It's not a death knell uh, for a case like this, but I do notice it while reviewing uh, for purposes of making this video and thought I would mention it to you. You've got references like this. You've got crops and flips and manipulations using as a base the photo that was taken to create something else. And it's not something else that will necessarily be transformative under fair use. We'll talk about that in a second because it is directly based on the texture. And again, we're assuming for purposes of that analysis that this is all accurate. And they do make a pretty good case about certain patterning appearing in various places that do suggest that Capcom was taking the direct photos and using them to help make their textures in their video game. As they say, it is not possible for Capcom to have had access to the mansion for these photos. Again, in terms of uh, over-lawyering or sloppy lawyering a little bit. It's it's not really accurate to say it's not possible for Capcom to have had access to a mansion to photograph such images just because the public does not have access. Certainly the photos were originally taken. Capcom could have taken them. I don't know that you even need that sentence to make that claim, but it kind of goes along with some of the things we see in this lawsuit document itself. Various versions of Capcom's Resident Evil game and merchandise have used approximately 80 or more of Jurisex photographs, which appeared over 200 times in defendants' Resident Evil games. And it seems here that they're not separating Devil May Cry from Resident Evil, which is, again, just kind of a little bit sloppy. Most of these are relating to Resident Evil 4. Some are relating to Resident Evil High Definition. Some are relating to Devil May Cry. We got it right here, Devil May Cry. And yet they only really refer to Resident Evil primarily and about 80 specific photos. It's also interesting to see where those photos came from. They have another example of one that uses the same naming convention as was put in the CD. I think they have a decent case to be made that Capcom was using this CD of photos to help make their own textures. More specifically, it is hard to imagine that Jurasek would take a photo of shattered glass in Italy and an interior Mastion's Azor design and that Capcom artists would reproduce the exact same pattern of shattered glass in a logo and interior door design without benefit of Jurasex photographs. I think that's pretty compelling what they've put together, especially with the naming and the way that they've shown it, that in all likelihood, and the court is going to have to analyze this itself, it does look like Capcom was using these photos. Then we get another bit of at least slight sloppiness. Paragraph 37, Capcom's activities show a pattern of misconduct. A Dutch filmmaker is suing Capcom for copying the filmmaker's monster designs and using the designs in the Resident Evil game. Now, for the next couple of minutes, we're going to talk about Resident Evil Village. We're going to look at a monster design for a second. If you're really spoiler phobic about Village, you can look away uh, for a minute or two. It's not really a spoiler for the game itself, uh, but they are getting, as described here in the article that this lawsuit links to, accused by a Dutch filmmaker of plagiarizing monster designs in Resident Evil Village. Fans across the world are digging through its many nooks and crannies to see where Capcom drew inspiration for its latest game, but it seems the company may have inadvertently 
copied designs from a Dutch indie film. Now, I don't know why you'd include the word inadvertently in your article when the accusation is that it was not inadvertent at all, uh, but here we are. That's just editorial from the article writers here. And you can see this particular person is upset. This is just one-to-one, really. It's just the same scene as in my movie, except that in my movie, you have to cut loose the fuel tubes. That's the only thing that is missing. But the whole thing is getting into flames, then it explodes, and the way it rotates through the camera, it's all the same, really. And here are the promised spoilers. It's essentially a propeller man. Uh, And Resident Evil Village has a propeller man, as you can probably guess. You can't actually copyright the concept of a propeller man, so it comes down to exactly how much of the design might have been stolen. And this is a very tough case to make because Propeller Man isn't identical. He's appearing in a different framework. It's not really one-to-one, no matter what the filmmaker says, with respect to Resident Evil Village. And what's worse from the perspective of this lawsuit that has been filed, that we're reading through, as described here, a Dutch filmmaker is suing Capcom. We don't see that here. We see accusations. We see Eurogamer, where they also link to, saying movie director says Capcom copied his monster. Not that he's suing, but that he's exploring his options. This very article that the lawsuit links to says, unfortunately for him, he never owned the rights to his designs. Those belong to MPI Media Group, an American-based company that helped the director get his film financed and distributed, which is a good touch point, as we talked about with respect to whether or not when you publish something, you give away certain rights to that intellectual property and who owns those rights and what the license to use those rights looks like for something like a publisher or a financier. But more importantly, for purpose of this conversation, is that there's no indication that a Dutch filmmaker is suing anybody. And this is a declaration of the court. Again, not a death knell. It's not important. In fact, it's kind of a sojourn that doesn't make any sense for bringing up in this introduction anyway, because you're just grabbing something from a The Gamer article. And yet you've told the court that they're being sued. They're not being sued. You're using that to try to establish a pattern of misconduct that Honestly, this is a lot weaker over here, design of Propeller Man, than it is to actually pointing out photographs that have been used that you are claiming weren't properly licensed for Capcom's use in this respect. And so it just doesn't work very well as part of the lawsuit. And then they say, accordingly, Capcom did not independently create the Shattern pattern, which is part of its logo described above. Sure, but accordingly from what? It doesn't really go with paragraph 37. And again, this is lawyering, right? This is technical lawyer stuff. The overall claim has some merit, at least as described in the photos they've produced, but some of this stuff is just a little bit odd. Jurasec did not discover the copying until more recently, in large part due to Capcom's separation of Jurasec's name and copyright notice from her images. They're going to use that later. So they say that there is a name and copyright notice associated with each of the images as it appears in the book, and that Capcom removed them, and that's bad. So they have two counts that they bring up to the court. One, copyright infringement. Defendants have copied approximately 80 or more of the photographs and used them over 200 times in the games. Defendants are infringing the copyrights of plaintiff website, website, what? By unlawfully reproducing, preparing derivative works, and publicly displaying and selling copies of identical or substantially similar content in games and merchandise in violation of the U.S. Copyright Act. And yeah, we're not talking about a website at all. We're talking about a book and a CD-ROM. And yet you can kind of see this law firm grabbed some precedent that it had for an infringement claim, put that paragraph in and didn't catch that website has nothing to do with what we're talking about. You then get the $12 million claim for $150,000 in statutory damages over 80 photographs. But you also see in this particular claim that Jurasec believes there may be other photos not identified because... One part that we skipped of this is that they found this basically because of the Capcom hacks and looked at the fact that some of the images that were shown in those Capcom hacks matched the naming conventions 
of the plaintiff's CD. So they think there might be more because they haven't gotten a full diligence look at all of the texture files that Capcom has used. And so it might not be $12 million they're claiming. It might be much, much, much more if they used more of the photographs in the Surface's book. Now, before we get to count two, I think we need to talk about a few things. So this is a false copyright management information and removal of copyright management information accusation. And basically it does what it says on the tin. It says, Capcom removed my name and removed the copyright management information uh, in order to infringe on me. Capcom has intentionally separated Jurisex copyright notice from the photos used, right? You, you wouldn't want a copyright watermark in your texture on your haunted mansion. And Capcom has claimed a copyright in the various Capcom games that use Jurisex photographs, thus falsely claiming complete copyright ownership to the Capcom games when those games use Jurisex copyrighted photographs. And we've got some statutory damages and we're going to ask for that count to be looked at by the court. And this is only two counts. It's a very short form. It's about 13 pages. And then just, I think, a hundred and some odd pages of photos here. But this is an unusual kind of part of the complaint. One, you'll note here that as we see for copyright infringement, they refer to the Copyright Act, but they don't really refer to any specific statute here, which we would. We would refer to the infringement portion of the statute. Here with copyright management, they don't refer to the act or the statute at all, which is easy enough to do and pretty standard, really, for lawyers to do. We can do it right here in virtual legality. Uh, we can look at 17 U.S.C. 1202, Integrity of Copyright Management Information. We see no person shall, without the authority of the copyright owner or the law, intentionally remove or alter any copyright management information. You say, oh, well, Rick, that's a dead-on winner for them, right? They removed it, it was in the photo, and now it's gone. Well, not so fast, because this continues on, and this part, highlighted in red and blue, actually amends the overall prohibition. You can't do this. You can't remove copyright management information knowing or having reasonable grounds to know that it will induce, enable, facilitate, or conceal an infringement of any right under this title. So this, count two, presupposes that there is, in fact, a copyright infringement. And more specifically, if there is a copyright infringement that Capcom knew or had a reasonable belief or reason to know that it would be an infringement. Now, why does that become a problem? Well, because Capcom might not realize that. Most specifically, it's unclear exactly how this was marketed to Capcom, when they bought it, what the language is in the book, and that could have a substantial effect on things. Looking at the Amazon page right now of Judy Jurasek's November 1996 release of Surfaces, you see how it's marketed. Surfaces offers over 1,200 outstanding, vibrantly colorful visual images of surface textures. Wood, stone, marble, brick, plaster, stucco, aggregates, metal, tile, and glass ready to be used in your designs, presentations, or comps as backgrounds or for general visual information. That sounds like a really lightly written license to me. Ready to be used in your designs. Really. And if you go and you market it that way, well, then Capcom can bring that up in its defense and say, look, we bought this book. We bought it with a CD-ROM. It said we can use it in our designs. That's a license of some kind for use and incorporation into what we're making. And then it had this other language that said, uh, if we wanted high resolution versions of these images, we could go and ask you for a license. Uh, but we didn't need those. We just needed what was on the CD-ROM. So we incorporated them into our projects. And it's not our fault that you wrote your license terms incorrectly if you wanted to sell them differently. 
Similarly, you can go on this very Amazon page, and this is just one example, and you can look at the first review. This is on Amazon and says, one of the most important reference books in my library. I've been looking for services for a while and was so happy to finally find it at such a good price. I highly recommend it to any designer and scenic painter looking for a comprehensive resource of materials and textures. If you buy it used, make sure the book contains the CD so you can import the materials into your computer and use them directly in your digital projects. And look, somebody using something as an infringement of copyright and then promoting it as the top five-star review of your book doesn't mean you can't bring an infringement claim against the Capcoms of the world, but it does present a certain problem, especially for count two, which requires Capcom to know that this use is infringement when it appears that it was marketed this way and that reviews of it have been allowed in this fashion. That's without going into a deep dive on the internet of how people use surfaces and what it means to use this particular resource. Additionally, Capcom could try to bring up a fair use complaint. Uh, as we've talked about in virtual legality, this is a defense to a copyright infringement action that generally allows you to use portions of things uh, to primarily criticize, comment, news report, and things of that nature. It's not specific to that. Those are more a list of examples. And you have to meet these four factors, which as we talked about at the top of this video, is an entirely fact and circumstances dependent analysis. So if it's being used for commercial use, like Capcom is most certainly doing in selling Resident Evil games and Devil May Cry games, then that leans towards the copyright holder and leans against a fair use analysis, the nature of the copyrighted work. So if you make a specific act of creative expression, you're going to get a little bit more protection and a little less fair use. Here, you're taking pictures of things out there in the real world. It's unclear exactly what way the court would go there. It's not an easy answer for either side. It's created specifically by this photographer, but it is of real world kind of situations. So probably call that a 50-50 draw. The amount and substantiality of the portion used, they don't use a lot of surfaces, at least not as accused in the lawsuit, but out of every given photo, there's a claim that they basically use the whole thing. And then item four, the effect of the use upon the potential market. That's why you see that language in the court case that tries to establish that, hey, we're in the business of licensing these photos out. That's why you get all that information up at the top of the lawsuit is to say, we're in the business of licensing these photos out. If you just steal them, you're directly affecting our potential market. So it's a commercial use. It's something we created. You use it all and you're affecting our market. Fair use seems like a tough, big hill to climb for Capcom. Doesn't mean they won't try to bring it. I suspect they will try to establish as in part that they had the right to use this, that this is the way it's been marketed. This is the way it has been used, that the owner and copyright owner knows that it has been used this way and that there was an implied license in the very way that the book and CD-ROM were originally sold. And whether or not that'll work for them is up for debate and up for the court and up for facts that we don't see in this particular lawsuit. But it's not the slam dunk that it appears to be and is not really helped by things like references to lawsuits that don't exist, by not including a reference to the actual section that requires a knowledge element here. You don't even actually see them plead the knowledge requirement other than the intentionality of removing the name. They have to know that it was infringement at the time and it has to be for the purpose of inducing, enabling, facilitating, facilitating or concealing that infringement. They don't even make that claim as part of this particular lawsuit. So it's not the perfect kind of document brought against a company like Capcom that especially has the resources and wherewithal uh, to bring their own lawyers at a complaint like this. And yet, it certainly does appear like they took photos from a book that the author at present doesn't think she gave the rights to. 
so whether or not you think Capcom is in right here or in the wrong is going to be largely dependent on what that book said, what the CD-ROM said, uh, because it does look right now as presented like Capcom did use photos from these books to make those textures and whether or not that's infringement uh, is a matter for the court and the law to determine. This has been Virtual Legality for today. If you enjoy these conversations, if you like a place online on the internet that's talking about important stuff, but in the world of video games and pop culture, please consider supporting the channel. We think we're pretty much the only people uh, doing this from a legal and business perspective. Support us at the Patreon, the Streamlabs, buy something from the store, or just subscribe, ring the bell, give upvotes, downvotes, comments, everything else that helps YouTube know that we're here and to maybe, you know, promote one of the videos from time to time. Come on, YouTube, you know you can do it. And more importantly, tell your friends that we're here. Every little bit helps. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. And if you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.